HBCU Pulse Radio yeah. on Sirius XM Channel 142 HBCU. You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture, from on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard. We always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today, where we're dedicating the whole entire show to another exclusive Shark Tank interview with M.T. Strickland, Braxton K. Davis, and Eclamus Ricks Jr. of the mobile fitness company Metric Mates in the building. If you all don't know, Metric Mates was featured on this season of Shark Tank. They actually ended in May, and you all know about that season of Shark Tank because it featured Tones of Melanin, Ashley Jones, striking a deal with Mark Cuban, and of course, before the show, we had the exclusive interview. MT Braxton and E are Morehouse alumni. So listen, SIC, big place in my heart. And before the interview, I let them know that I got love for Morehouse, but they're playing Fort Valley for homecoming. They come down to the Valley and I said, I send my regards. <laughs> but it's always great to see some brothers from HBCUs going on a national platform and putting on for HBCUs by showcasing their excellence. They stepped in the Shark Tank to get a deal for Metric Mates. They were asking for $100,000 for five percent of their company and the sharks were impressed with the business and what it entailed kevin o'leary was the only shark that made an offer he asked for 100,000 for 25 percent of the company that asking price was a little bit too steep because they didn't want to give up that much equity especially for just 100,000 dollars. they had a back and forth where they tried to counter kevin said he didn't want to do that so metric mates walked out without a deal but they have no regrets and they talked about it with us in our interview that we're going to be airing right now and i must say with this interview i've had the most fun that i've had in any interview i've done these brothers are authentic they're real they're intelligent and they know their value and they know their worth so i know you're going to love the interview so make sure to stay tuned we had a lot of fun you listen to hbcu pulse radio make sure to follow hbcu pulse on instagram and youtube at hbcu pulse twitter and tiktok the hbcu pulse make sure to subscribe to hbcu pulse radio on apple podcast spotify iHeartRadio, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcast. And of course, if you want to donate to HBCU Pulse, you can cash up us at dollar sign HBCU Pulse or go to paypal.me slash HBCU Pulse. Any amount is appreciated. All right, coming up next is my interview with MT Strickland, Braxton K. Davis, and Eclamus Ricks Jr. of Metric Mates. HBCU. They know just who we are. Pulse Radio. We're talking to Metric Mates, M.T. Braxton, and E. in the building. They were featured on this past season of Shark Tank back in January. How y'all doing today? Doing great, doing great, man. How about yourself? Man, I'm excited just to have y'all here, man, because y'all making it happen. Morehouse, man, I told y'all I went to Fort Valley. So first and foremost, it's amazing to see the SIEC shine and get to the money and be on Shark Tank, carry themselves intelligently, and go out there and know your worth. Like That's really the thing that shined out for me. But I had to let y'all know, you know, Fort Valley plays Morehouse on the, on our homecoming, so I had to send y'all my regards early at this point. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me put the reminder on the 
<laughs> uh, listen, it's all love for us, all SIC love, but let's really go on and get into the start of Metric Mates. So tell us about how Metric Mates came together. I mean, ultimately it came together just from me going to the gym and realizing that I'd go on a treadmill 30 minutes and see I burn, you know, 150, 200 calories, run two miles, and I'd go strength train. And I wanted to have that same capture, that same type of data, uh, strength training, you know, how much did I lift the last time? What exercises did I do? And then not actually having to write it down or actually put it into an app manually, right? Because that's inefficient and waste time. And so I just started thinking about, well, how can I get this data seamlessly without adding another wearable? And, and that's really where, where MetricMate was born. Um, I'm a patent attorney, so filed for the patents, got the patents for, for the idea. At that point in time, I uh, brought on MT. MT and I had a former business relationship, another Morehouse man. And so I was like, this this would be awesome. This would be great to have somebody help me out from that role. And then from that perspective, you know, we were, we were heavy into to the hardware and, you know, gotten that done, we realized how much extensive support we needed on software. And so I started pitching the idea uh, itself to, I'm a NASA scholar, uh, so is the Clemens. And Clemens and I were NASA scholars uh, who came into Morehouse together. He heard about the idea and he was still doing his software thing. And so it was a natural kind of uh, coming together at that point for him to come onto the team as well. So you all met after Morehouse or did you all know each other at Morehouse? And Clemens and I knew each other. Like we literally met our first day, our summer before, you know, our freshman year as NASA scholars at Morehouse. Literally one of the first guys I ever met, right? So we're talking at this point, dating, my, dating myself, but 23 years of, of friendship, right, and brotherhood. Uh, MT, I met uh, at once I was in my career as a patent attorney, and I reached back out to the dual degree program to get more engineers involved and let them know about patent law and becoming a patent attorney. And so that's how I met MT. And that had to be around maybe 2013, 2014. So we, we all have some, some years in the game. How did you all manage to still stay connected so much so that you all came together to be on Shark Tank and start this business? The bond was formed in our college years, for sure. I would I would say, you know, full of transparency, like we didn't keep in touch for the, all those 20 years. You know, it was touch, touch and go, right? And, you know, people have their lives, they go off and do things. I actually moved to Texas for a period of time. And so the... The bond was formed when we were in college. Like like you said, we were in the same classes. We were doing the same work, pursuing similar majors. And, you know, we transferred to tech. And so all of those things were like the gauntlet that formed that, that friendship and that bond, right? So once you, once you form that bond, it doesn't matter where you go and what you're doing. When you get back together, it's like old time. So I believe it was homecoming. We connected. And then that's what we were talking about, his, his business and his idea. He knew um, or had learned that I had a software company. And that's kind of where things picked up. Man. And, you know, like I said, once the bond is formed, when we started talking business and hearing what each other was, was up to, it just made sense that we kind of go into this venture together. And, you know, you trust uh, these people a little bit more, right? Because you know what they're about. You know their, their background and their story a little bit better. And so jumping into... A business relationship you always want to be cautious about that but knowing that you have um your brothers involved and you know highly regarded in their fields just kind of gives us that that confidence that we can we can make this thing happen i'll add to that too i think one of the things that's kind of helped those bonds stay in place with not only us but the other nasa scholars 
that we came in with is we're all in a, in a group chat. And, you know, like, like Kleema said, you know, you go off, you have your lives, you do different things, but we all try to support each other, kind of keep in touch through group chat, birthdays, who's coming in town from homecoming. You know, we have doctors, well, well we, have, yeah, we have doctors, PhDs, we have a judge in the group, we have a few other attorneys, we have engineers, we have software developers. And so as, as a black man, you know, that's important, right? To keep that network because we always know somebody who knows somebody. We have business owners. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a, and a beautiful thing. And honestly, that's the, the, the intangibles that you don't really think of when you enroll in HBCU, you know, so many years ago. But to have something like that and to have a group of brothers that are similarly situated, career-minded, you know, and doing their thing and, and you know, families and whatnot, that's, that's actually a beautiful thing, you know, when you really think about it. So Morehouse built the bond. Like you all knew each other at Morehouse and then MT was a fellow Morehouse man and you all came together to make metric mates. But how did the HBCU experience help in the building of the business if it did? Because I remember I asked Ashley Jones with Tulsa Melanin who was on Shark Tank season 14 and she said, you know, she's a Delta and doing the pitch, she wasn't scared because she did her probate and she was in front of all those people. So she was already ready for that pressure and the eyes on her. So like, how did, you know, the HBCU experience, especially at an HBCU that's, that's so amazing as Morehouse, like how did that aid you all in the building of this business? I think, you know, to ask that question, you know, more, more directly, it's, it's, it's not accepting no. Uh, not accepting no, uh, being able to know your worth, know your value, that's that's a major thing. You know, as, as, as Black-owned businesses, we, we a lot of times don't get the shine that we deserve. We don't have the opportunities that we deserve. But if it's one thing that HBCUs have taught us, whether it's, you know, standing in one line and getting to the front and then having to go to another line all over again during registration processes. It's, it's the, the grind is real. The, the grind, you can, you can stay on the grind, you continue and you, you follow through, right? And, and that's one thing you have to love HBCUs about. I agree with that sentiment. I'm an I'm a alpha as well. And, and just just like I said earlier, being there with my brothers side by side, you know, that's 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 upbuilding and uplifting. And so we, we rely on each other. And, and that's that bond that, you know, even though I didn't know it MT in, in school, we had that common bond stuff. Morehouse man to Morehouse man. We knew we had some of the same ideals going into it. And so what I hear as well is patience, because standing in those lines takes a lot of patience. Is all the lines long at Morehouse too? Or are y'all, is it efficient? <laughs> <laughs> this this was this was some years ago. This was some years ago, but <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing I would add too, you know, we were all on scholarship, so negotiation skills were very important when you were trying to get that refund check. So it was definitely uh, definitely the HBCU that helped us towards that, and really, you know, the the classes too. We had communications classes that were required, public speaking, putting together a presentation, making introductions, like all of those things we were doing, you're being prepared for these these boardrooms in the classroom as well. That public development is real key, but I'll just say that if getting your refund or your financial aid was like Shark Tank, man, all my whole tuition would have been paid off. I wouldn't have to worry about paying Sally Mae or seeing the Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of student loan forgiveness. I wouldn't have to wait, but at the same time, like with me, they would have been like, listen, no deal. Let's get out, get out of here. We're not going to bring you in. We're we not doing your deal. Hey, man, you you got to put it on the table, baby. If you don't ask for it, you don't get it, man. Hey. Close mouths don't get it. But speaking of pitching, let's get into the business. So how 
is Metric Makes different from other businesses on the market that do this exact same thing or something similar? Like, how is Metric Makes different from other businesses on the market? Well, I think one of the things, one of the key value adds that we have is, is the fact that we're portable and adaptable, right? And so we're portable because our our devices, you know, can be used on a person-to-person basis, whereby somebody has their own device, they take it to a gym, and they can attach it to many different types of equipment. And so it's diverse. It can work with, with barbells, it can work with uh, plate-loaded machines, work with selectorized machines as well. But we also have the opportunity to work with gyms to fully outfit their gyms at each station with the devices such that if a person is at a barbell, they can sync to that device and then walk over to a plate-loaded machine and sync to that that machine and get their, their data as well. And so I think between, you know, the, the cost, um, the portability, which is, you know, only a couple inches wide, and the diversity of our technology is where we set ourselves apart from the competition. And I'll add that we also are working with what you're doing on the actual device. That's your, the equipment that you're using. So what's different about, this and the Apple Watch and the Fitbit and the wearables that you have, they're taking the biometrics from your body and guessing at what you're you're doing. But we're looking at what you're doing, how much weight are you actually lifting and being able to pull metrics from that gives people a better sense of what they're capable of before they see the results in the mirror on the scale. So just want to throw that in there too. What led you all to one to pitch the sharks on Shark Tank? Because it seemed as if in my research and also hearing you all on the show that you all had investments from other businesses. I saw Techstars in 2022 and you had support from the Atlanta Accelerator Program. So what led you all to one to be on Shark Tank to pitch to the sharks? You think about just the, the reach that Shark Tank has in terms of a you know nationally syndicated broadcast. We, we couldn't get that type of marketing through our own resources, right? Even with the investment we had. And really the story of Metric Maine was what we were trying to get out um, in order to really proliferate, you know, just the, the, the value add. The, the pro of getting on Shark Tank deal or no deal was was kind of like, all right, a no-brainer. Will we have liked to have other things going, you know, before we went on the show? Perhaps, but it, it's one of those things where you got to you gotta go for it. We did the research, and there's, what, I think 4 million that are watching the show on any given broadcast. So that alone, <laughs> I mean, given the investment we had to do to prepare, it was worth it. So Shark Tank seems to be a very pressurized environment it seems like a lot of folks go in there and they don't come out the same when they get in there so i think that it seems as if you have to have a lot of preparation to get that rolling so i want to start with you mt so what was like the process like to you all getting prepared to get on shark tank constant practice constant going back and forth yo i i haven't done this i don't think i maybe i have but shout out to braxton and the cleaners for like being on top of the organization of everything making sure that we got to talk to folks got to to do uh mock pitches and and going through everything man like so so us coming together as a team to be able to bring this thing in man it was absolutely crazy so it was it was a back and forth it was definitely a a a good time it was a long time so we had to persevere for sure it was a bit surreal quite frankly it's like and and you never really really know what to expect because you've never been there before you know we we were excited but we were also very aware of what we were there to do and why we were there so not getting too caught up in the excitement or the the potential to be on TV that we kind of let an opportunity slip through our hands. 
E, so tell us about, you know, just your thought process in preparing for Shark Tank with MT and Braxton. What part did you play in the process? All right, so these fellas will will admit that I'm probably the one that's most OCD about these things. I'm, I have a project manager background, so we weren't going to go in there and embarrass ourselves, I'll say that. So preparation was really just repetition and making sure that we got everything we could out of the, the resources that we were afforded. And really just going through the, the different scenarios of what would be offered and what we would be willing to accept. And so that was really the key part of that whole exchange. When we went through this process, we knew what we what our ceiling was and we knew what we were willing to, to walk away from, right? And that, in reality, is what, what ended up happening because we got the offers. There was some back and forth. It wasn't what we came in knowing that we would accept. And so we had to... To, to kind of stand by that, regardless of what we might have felt in that moment. And so the preparation really was about like going into it so that we didn't have this deer in the headlight experience when we got when we got there. So yeah. it was just a, a grind, man. It was it was what nightly calls. It was pacing up the sharks literally on the wall, doing responses. I mean, it's practicing the pitch, is getting the, the drama classes out. We were fortunate to to make that cut. The thing that a lot of folks have a question about, and this is what I always wonder about because I look at Shark Tank and one thing I do is I'm like Kobe when it comes to business. I'm like, I'm, I be studying everything. Like I watch you all segment like five times, even before the interview, like just like studying it, trying to see, you know, how I can get better, like how I can do business better. And one thing I've never seemed to get even in all my years of watching Shark Tank, is the valuation. Like, like for example, like it'll be a valuation and they'll say, oh, you're valuing the business at $5 million. And, and, and I never understood how that valuation would come together. So how do you calculate that valuation? And how did you all calculate your evaluation of 100K for 5% of the company? So it's pretty interesting how it happens. There's really two ways that you get evaluation. It's either from existing sales. So you look at how much you have annually as far as sales and your growth rate over the past couple of years. And you can say, okay, if I've been growing at about a 10, 20X clip, then I'll say, okay, 10 times my annual revenue. That's what my valuation is if I wanted to sell this thing. But when you're dealing with pre-revenue companies, you're dealing with companies that are are, are on emerging technologies, you start looking at the assets and the technology that they're actually entering into. So with the patents that we have, thanks to Braxton busting out to get that done, the, the numerous amounts of code and algorithms that a clean is put together, and then the actual piece of functioning hardware and the platform functional uh, together in general to able to generate revenue and provide data and insights and gain users the way it was. That's why we actually look at our company at being close to a $10 million valuation right now. Now, one of the things that was a strategy piece for us going on there is not overpricing ourselves because everybody watches Shark Tank and the people come up there and they're like, we want $500,000 for 2% of our company. And everybody's like, nope, you value your company too high. I can't do nothing for you. Well, one of the things that they kind of make you privy to is that you don't want to set your valuation too high. 
Because as you see, if you go in and you got a really good company and you're like, I want a hundred thousand dollars for two percent of my company, they'll bid you up. They'll be like, okay, you you're dope. Let me give you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for five percent of your company. But they'll never do down. That's why they always say you came in with your evaluation too high because they won't bring you down, but you can always go up. And so that was more of a strategy piece for us, knowing that we were we had value in this company, we've shown value in this company. We went kind of low, and that's what everybody tells us. Like, man, y'all went in kind of low. It's like, yeah, we went in low with the expectation that they would bid us up because they saw the value as well. And so that's why having that threshold, like Akleem has talked about, being able to know where our ceiling was and where we didn't want to go below as far as what our company valuation was, but then having some ideas on, okay, if they do bid us up, what are we willing to give? Where are we willing to go? What kind of other perks can we negotiate to sweeten the deal? That is a big portion that you'll see folks not even consider when they go on there. Like, they'll get up there and they'll say, I, this is what I want for my company, and somebody will fire back another number, and they'll be like, all right, well, I don't like that. Well, then the Sharks are like, give me a counter offer, and they don't have nothing to say. But Clemens, being, being who he is, made sure that we had, like, different ways that we wanted to be able to go, man, and, and that was really important as far as the negotiation. But trying to set that price point low so they'll bid up was kind of just a strategy. Yeah, and just, just to kind of harp on that the idea of evaluation, starting at one point and moving to another level after you have those other investors in that was the other part that we were accounting for because we saw shark tank investment as a launch point to other investments that would allow us to have the full runway that we were looking for to be able to scale um metric made to where we see it going so hundred thousand dollars people were like hey i'll give you hundred thousand dollars you can get you know borrow a hundred thousand dollars they say yes all of that but that wasn't the only thing we were we're going for because the truth be told like it will cost a lot more for us to to really get metric made where we where we see it and so that's why we're going into crowdfunding campaign that's why we're looking at other investment vehicles because i've done software for over 20 years and there are a number of opportunities for us in this domain that will require resources and so once we you know we can handle 10,000 users right now with a small shop or once we get to that 100,000, 1 million users, we're going to have a lot more infrastructure in place and more resources in terms of people to, to, to support that. So that's where we see the, the funding going in these next few months is to be able to really sure up the, the infrastructure of our, of our organization to be able to go direct to consumer. So let's talk about the offer. So Kevin offered 100K for 25%. So he hit the number of money you were trying to do, but he was trying to get, you know, 25% equity in the business. And y'all were not having that. Y'all said, listen, we have other people. Like we got other partners, 100%. Like we, like you can't do more than 100%. So like we already got that divvied up, that 25%. We're not trying to bring you into that. And then you all countered, had a couple of other counters, but the last counter that you all had that he turned down and then you all basically said, no, we don't want to do the 100,000 for 25%. You said 200,000 for 20%, which I was reading comments on YouTube and they were saying that's smart because that seems like it would have covered 
covered the certification for the consumer license. So tell us about the back and forth with Kevin. So yeah, Kevin made the only offer. We came back with the counter offers. We even tried to sweeten the pot because like you said, we prepared. So we knew Kevin likes royalties or he likes, you know what I'm saying? A little line of credit. Let's divvy it up that way. Um, we look for different opportunities to kind of make it work in a way that that was amicable to everybody. Um, but like you said, man, coming in with that 25%, that was divvying up the pie way too much. And, and the part that I think a lot of people missed was that he was also trying to get in on manufacturing and distribution. So he would have had 25% of the company, he would have been manufacturing our tab sensors, and he would have been in distribution. And thinking about it from a short term, that seems great because you get this big name behind you, you get to take care of one of your big touch points, and now you can focus on other parts of the business. But thinking about it in a long-term business perspective, now you have a single point of contact that has control over the distribution and manufacturing of your technology. And once you get in the bed with somebody like that and you go through a couple cycles and it become more efficient and they actually see the margins that you're bringing in, because unlike traditional manufacturing, he would have been aware of the back end books because he was a 25 percent investor in the company. So he would have saw those margins and now you can start nickel and diamond and increasing prices for distribution and manufacturing. And now he's gaining money on that end as well as the company we're paying out like that. That was too many hands to have in the pot. And so when you think about it from a holistic standpoint, it starts bearing down even more on that 100K for 25%. Because now it's just like the he's the 50 pound, 50,000 pound gorilla and we're trying to push him up. And if he really wants to push us down, he just got to put his foot down. And now we, we have to kind of will to this yield, yield to this will. So they had to think about it all the way around, you know. I think the um, to add to that too, um, I will say that one of the value adds that Kevin was was bringing to the table was that he owns a company called PRX, which is an, I actually own one because when when the pandemic hit, it's essentially in home uh, gym rack that folds up against your wall. When the pandemic hit, we had to stop going to the gyms to do testing, beta testing, and analysis. So I converted my home office, and I think MT did the same. Um, even Clemens bought some equipment um, so we could test during the pandemic while keeping everybody safe. And so that was appealing because we know PRX already had that name. I was already using PRX to do testing. That's exactly what we were, you know, how we were still building out the program during the pandemic. And so from that perspective, it made sense. But for a long-term perspective, you also have to realize that we were at that cusp of society is now opening back up. And the home-based gym systems aren't going to be as prevalent anymore as they were during the pandemic. And so that was his one plug, which was great at the time and kind of in that area. But long-term, you know, we also understood our worth in that we don't want to be just beholden to home gym systems. We can be in your everyday gym. We can be in your hotel. We could be, you know, personal, personal. You can use this personally by just taking it, you know, to any gym that you go to. We can work with weight equipment manufacturers can sell us to upgrade their equipment and make it technologically savvy. And so the the world with which we operate in was so much more expansive than just the home gym market. We realized that that too would have pigeonholed us into one segment of the market and only for hundred K when you look at it. And that just, that just wasn't enough. The, the numbers didn't add up. Like I said, doing that beforehand helped us to, to be clear about what we were able to do. And really that last offer was in my mind, a test to see if there was really a commitment to 
supporting us. And that was really important in terms of the valuation of the type of shark that we wanted to have. It's somebody that we really felt like was going to be a partner. So I have to ask you this before we talk about the Shark Tank effect. So like you said, uh, they were real big on it being a consumer product and something that consumers can get from business to consumer. So did you all eventually, after it aired, did you all eventually get the licensing to sell to consumer? Or is that something that's still a process at the point of this interview? Is it still a process? Still a process, but we are going direct to consumer. So we we are posted on the website, like you said a little earlier. We got the crowdfunding campaign going up, and the expectation is that by Q4 of this year, so between October and December, we'll be delivering tap sensors directly to the consumer. Um, so we're working through the process right now. We actually just locked in a huge manufacturing deal that brought down our overhead. So really appreciate our partners on that. And we got a couple of contracts as well. So uh, one of the parts that that was beneficial to the B2B to C way that we started is that we built relationships with a bunch of corporations. And so now we have programs, health and fitness programs, health and wellness programs that are centered around the metric made technology and being able to track that progress, but benefiting entire employee bases and entire member bases so that now more people can interact with the technology in a direct to consumer type fashion without us having to have as many sensors out in the ecosystem. So yeah, we're we're generating revenue, we're running that engine, we're we're cycling that into being able to achieve these certifications and get this manufacturing with the goal of being strictly direct to consumer come the end of this year. So everybody go to the crowdfunding campaign, get this thing under your Christmas tree because we we want to make sure your holiday tree, your Christmas Kwanzaa Hanukkah, whatever they call that giant tree, put it in there so that when you come out in January, you can be ready to get fit with Metric Mate. So yeah, we took that advice and we run it with it. I love it. I love it. So listen, the Shark Tank effect. So the pitch aired on January the 13th. So I'm someone, I'm a media guy, so I'm real big on ratings and numbers. So Shark Tank on Friday, January the 13th, y'all probably already know this, 4 million views, you outranked 2020, that came on after Shark Tank, uh, you outranked Young Rock, which is now canceled, you outranked Friday Night Smackdown, I'm a wrestling fan, so that was dope, you, out, you outranked everything, y'all outranked Fox News, like they got 3 million, y'all got 4 million, so y'all were making it happen and here's the thing that that really sticks out to me y'all also outranked with, with, with the pitch and the overall show the nba regular season and i gotta just say this all right i have to say this this makes a lot of sense because when y'all's episode of shark tank was on they were airing the warriors versus the spurs that ended in a 144 113 game so i'm pretty sure a lot of people turned from espn to abc and were like metric mates like, like, like that might be Somebody need to get, and maybe the Spurs need to get it too. Like, <laughs> Mavs, everybody, the NBA needs to get it. So why? So make sure that they see this that we outrank them because we coming. They they need to pull up. So how did that affect your business? And the Shark Tank effect is when you air on the show, your business skyrockets. It's a bunch of followers on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. A lot of folks are inquiring. A lot of folks are reaching out. It's like a thing that you get in, in your city and it's a lot of buzz around your business. So how did the Shark Tank effect affect your business? Astronomical. 
like I did, if I had to pick a word, that would be it. Um, and 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 this is another testament to to the team being prepared, man. We we got a chance to ask questions of a lot of folks that went on the show, and they told us the number one thing that happens to folks on the show is that their website crash. Don't let your website crash. <laughs> it was like so we made sure we invested in making sure we mapped the website and we had the backup and the adjustable memory and then bandwidth to be able to take in everybody that was coming to the site. But the website views like skyrocketed. We had, I think we had over 15,000 website hits that night and that kind of trend continued into the next week. We we had the most orders that we've ever had. We had a highest ranking month as far as revenue. It was a, a true kind of beacon to the fact that one, this direct to consumer thing could really, really be a thing as we kind of knew from our market research. But once folks start cashing checks, that kind of changes the whole thing. And so being able to move to direct to consumer from that, that push really catalyzed us to be able to focus on being able to secure more contracts, focus on being able to start this crowdfunding campaign because we knew we had the backing and the momentum and the audience that was receptive to what we were doing. So we're, we're still riding that wave. The re-air actually came on June 6th and we saw the same thing. People hit the site. People started purchasing. You got a lot of emails, a lot of kudos, followers, social media was blowing up. People just saying, man, this is great. Saw the likes coming in. I was like, okay, people are actually looking at our page and understanding what we're doing even our youtube which we put some time into and we actually have some videos up on so go check us out on youtube metric makes the channel we we saw a lot of traction there as well and people coming in so the support was absolutely amazing we had a reddit feed made about us like specifically on our part of the episode people were talking about metric made and like what we doing i got in there and i started replying i don't even use reddit but i made a reddit account for metric made that day i was like yo look we doing great stuff check us out come see us answering questions going back and forth we actually had a guy on youtube do a, a reaction video on it so that boosted the views and the appeal of everybody so the and they didn't do a reaction video on nobody else from that episode it was just metric made talking about what we did, how the, the, the process was, and all of that stuff. I mean, we didn't even know it was coming out. He reached out to me, email, was like, yo, I made a video, check it out. I was like, oh, this is great. So the, the amount of positive, like, energy that was pumped into Metric Mate because of that debut episode was off the chain, and, and we're continuing to ride that momentum. Yeah, and I think, I think ultimately for us, like, you know, we had a watch party here in Atlanta with our Atlanta constituency. Clemens did the same thing in Texas. And, and that was a beautiful thing, too, because the community, you know, kind of wrapped its arms around us, all our, you know, investors, supporters, people who believed in us over the years, and, and really just want to see, you know, three brothers like us, you know, succeed, quite frankly. And so that was, that was a beautiful thing as, as well and, and, and a blessing also. Thanks for bringing it up, man. Major shout out to the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs down here in Atlanta who are out here doing great things for the economic development of the, of the diaspora, of the community, you know what I'm saying? And so they supported us. They they funded the whole shebang as far as the watch party here in Atlanta, got us connected with Austin to make sure that the Clemens and his crew out there could tap in and, and, and talk to everybody, bro. So it was it was an amazing night, man. My, I'm, my heart's still pounding from that day. Every time we bring it up, I kind of get short of breath, so. It, it, was, it was off the chain. And just a shout out real quick to the HBCU that hosted in Austin, Texas, Houston Tillerson, which is the oldest mm-hmm. university in the, in the city of Austin. We actually hosted from there. So HBCU love all around. 
Hey, shout out to Houston Tillerson. Like, people don't speak about Houston Tillerson enough and them being down there and the fact that there are HBCUs everywhere you look at. You know, there are 100 plus HBCUs out there. And when you're a part of one, you're a part of all of them. You know what I'm saying? So I got to ask this. So how did Morehouse support? Because I know that Morehouse supported. So how did Morehouse support you all? Yeah, they actually um, sent out a newsletter to the Alumni Association as well about about the, the show when it was airing. Um, so Morehouse supported, you know, and, and did his thing. And uh, we got some other support. I think that MT kind of brokered as well. But but yeah, I mean, that was that was awesome. You know, and I think it's it's a beautiful thing because for us, it says I think it shows the next generation that anything's attainable, anything's achievable. But but also know who you are and, and know your worth. Right. Like every deal is not going to be the deal for you. Man, y'all winning, man. Like, listen, it's a whole bunch of winning, a whole bunch of money making going on, but per usual for Morehouse men, as we see. You know what I'm saying? Per usual. Listen, like, we love to see it. You know, we definitely want to tap in. You all are, are making it happen. So before we go, where can we find you all on social media, and how can we support you all and purchase Metric Mates? Without a doubt, man. So, of course, Instagram, Facebook, go Metric Mate. Check us out on Twitter, actually, the Metric Mate. We're trying to work out some legal stuff to get the name because somebody playing around. But Twitter, get us right. If you see this, get us right. We need that Metric Mate on Twitter as well. TikTok, follow us at Metric Mate. Just go and support, like, share, give it to all your people that's on a fitness journey, thinking about a fitness journey, might not even know what a weight looks like. We help everybody get into the gym and get right. Uh, you could go to the website at themetricmate.com. Check us out there. You can actually um, subscribe to our email list because we're sending out updates all the time, get information, check out some of our guides and our, our other videos on there. And then like we said earlier, we got the crowdfunding campaign coming on Indiegogo July 1st. Make sure that you go and support. You have an opportunity to be able to get a tap sensor for a discount. You'll have an opportunity to be able to support and get a shirt. We got other merchandise coming out later on. Or you can just donate 10 bucks. We appreciate the 10 bucks. The 10 bucks might not be gas money no more, but you get enough 10 bucks, we might be able to get some things rolling over here. So look for your opportunity to be able to support, share, like, subscribe to the videos. Uh, we got a podcast that we did for a while out there as well. So if you want to check out some other HBCU graduates and other graduates that have gone into industry that keep fitness at the center of what they do you can check that out as well we we everywhere man so don't act like you ain't seen us don't act like you can't see us you can find us anywhere just google metric mate we're gonna pop up i love it and, and i want to just say this if elon musk and twitter is listening hope they not because i got a lot of stuff to say they better not be listening <laughs> they better not listen to this episode listen to this episode learn about the underfunding the hbcus learn about all this different stuff but don't listen to this one because i just know <laughs> listen to the clips that come out because I, I got stuff to say but listen it, it was amazing having you all on you all are making it happen and you know the fact you all like knew your worth and went in with a game plan and came out and you all are, are growing and hbcus are supporting you we need more hbcus and more hbcu alumni and students to tap in because we all need help in our wellness journey that's something that's key so i really appreciate you all for coming on you're listening to hbcu pulse radio like what you hear uh, yeah subscribe to hbcu pulse radio on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts also head to hbcupulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the hbcu community thank, thank you, you for, for listening, listening to hbcu, HBCU pulse, pulse radio, radio.